Hey everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I am James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, one of your other hosts. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until Chronica 2 comes to an end. Uh-huh. And that's a planet that you're going to hear a lot about. <laughs> Honestly, hey, honestly, you're gonna hear you're gonna hear that a lot. So there, buckle up. There is no arguing with that is a planet that you will know about um, at some point. Not yet, though. Not yet, though. But we are gonna get into Agents of Shield way earlier than I was anticipating getting into Agents of Shield, Colin. This is yeah, going we, to be. We kind of thought we were gonna hit Captain America first, didn't we? A little bit. We're sort of prepping for the Captain America train that is going to be. That Not Bucky's quite gonna f- yet. I mean, <laughs> oh no! Oh, oh no! Oh no! See, okay, got to, I'll bleep that out because it's a spoiler. <laughs> okay, we are. We, we this is going to be the first clip of 1931. You're going to go to Agents of Shield, season six, episode 13. Start it at 38 minutes and 19 seconds, and stop it at 39 minutes 48 seconds. It'll be a nice commercial break. Um, it's the episode is called New Life, and it aired on August 2nd, 2019. And here is your synopsis. And hey, don't worry if these words don't necessarily make any sense. Um, because, <laughs> you know, Zephyr 1, we'll get to it, is teleported above the skies of New York City. You should know that one. And the team sees the Empire State <laughs> Building, that's another one, still under construction. They realized that the phase harmonic device, easy, easy, that's not one, not only took them through space, but through time as well, and that they have traveled back in time to 1931. So what's really fun about this and starting here with the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here is the minute starts with um, with da- uh, with Daisy being like, huh! like it's mid-scene because it's, it's like right after the jump. So... Uh, right. You are just because you're starting in the middle of the scene. Don't think it's wrong. I have timed it that way. Yeah, time. Okay, Aha. so <laughs> he mentioned time. Um, okay, so this episode was written by Brent Fletcher, who. Um, oh, sorry. Let's get into a real quick Avengers ensemble uh, yeah. to start us off. Avengers ensemble. This episode was written by Brent Fletcher, uh, who also wrote two episodes of Superman and Lois. I believe that is the more recent oh, one because I think one, the yeah. other one was Lois and Superman. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he wrote fifteen episodes of uh, Agents of Shield, one episode of Lost, and one episode of Angel. Um, okay. This episode was also written by Jed Whedon, who, yes, is the brother of Joss Whedon. He wrote twenty-three episodes of Agents of Shield. Whoa. Hold on, let me take my braces out. He wrote 23 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., six episodes of Dollhouse, uh, acts one through three of Dr. Horrible's, uh, what is it, Dr. Horrible's something blog. Um, Musical blog? I don't know. Dr. Horrible with Neil Patrick Harris. It's really good. Uh, And he is the brother-in-law of the director of this this episode, Kevin Tancherone. and he's also Joss Whedon's brother. So Kevin Tancherone, uh, he also directed, in addition to helping to create 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with um, Jed Whedon, Joss Whedon, and his sister. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that right. Tenterun is how you do it in German, but probably not that. Uh, he directed one episode of Hellstrom, a show which I, as we're recording this on July 20th, will be starting tonight. Um, well, maybe maybe early in the morning on July 21st. Um, he directed 16 episodes of, Aven- of, I keep wanting to say Avengers of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, he directed 16 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., three episodes of The Flash, three episodes of Arrow, one episode of Inhumans, two episodes of DC's Legends of Tomorrow, one episode of Iron Fist, one episode of Supergirl, and 18 episodes of Mortal Kombat Legacy. Okay. I think he made his bones, if you will, uh, with that Mortal Kombat Legacy thing. I think that was sort of what brought him into the spotlight of doing things. Um, We have met some characters in this minute, and I'm going to do their real-life actors, and then we'll get into who are these characters. So, uh, Daisy is played by Chloe Bennett, who is on 136 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm pretty sure that's all of them. Yes. Because, spoiler, uh, Clark Gregg is also on 136 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She auditioned six times for the role of Sky slash Daisy on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and had originally auditioned, auditioned for Sim, uh, Gemma Simmons. Um, when she found out she got the role, she started crying, it says. Um, she's also in the new live-action uh, uh, Powerpuff, Powerpuff Girls, Girls. movie that uh, or TV show that I yep, guess it's been scrapped or started over or whatever. Yeah. Next up, we have the aforementioned Gemma Simmons, played by the lovely Elizabeth Henstridge. Um, she was in 136 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so that's it. Um, and Colin, oh, behind you, stealth, uncloaking. It's a secret Avengers Ensemble alias <gasps> investigations. Whoa. Here are three nicknames of Elizabeth Henstridge in her real life that I found in her IMDb trivia. Ready? Okay. Mm-hmm. Liz. That one's, okay. yeah, sure. Sure. Henny. Okay. And Lil, which I'm not sure, but uh, okay. I was I was happy to find um, that even even our real life actors have nicknames that I'm. I'm going to put both of those jangles, jingles, sorry, uh, over top of each other. Yeah. And it's going to be audio hell, but I think it's probably going to be the only time we ever do it. I, so yeah, do I think, it. well, maybe. Now I'm going to start looking. Maybe. Um, <laughs> and the, the last person that we're going to see in this scene is uh, Mac Alfonso McKenzie. Uh, he's played by Henry Simmons, which is very confusing to watch in the credits. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Henry Simmons, real life actor, no relation to fictional character Gemma Simmons, I don't think. Um, he is in 114 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., one episode of Bones. Uh, he is, I think, Superman in Superman versus the Elite. And he's in 123 episodes of NYPD Blue. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So those are our, that's our, our cast. Now let's meet the characters. First, Colin, we're going to talk about Daisy Johnson. Um, her first appearance was Secret War number two in July 2004. J- Daisy Johnson, alias Quake, was at first believed to be a mutant with seismic earthquake-producing abilities. By the way, this is these are the comics. We're going to mm-hmm. see what happens on, in the in the show 
over the course of this podcast. That's what the hey, hey, listener, that's what this podcast is. But right. <laughs> uh, this is who uh, Quake is in the comics. Um, her powers came from her status as the illegitimate daughter of Calvin Zabo, the supervillain known as Mr. Hyde, and a woman within human lineage. No, nothing, nothing more than that. Um, before taking the Hyde formula, uh, Zabo had tampered with his DNA, like you do. Calvin had regular business with a sex worker named Kim Johnson, who immediately gave her daughter up for adoption. Daisy was named Corey Sutter when she was seven months old at the time of her foster parents, at the time her foster parents adopted her. When Daisy became a teenager and stole two CDs, her vibrational powers accidentally awakened as a result of her mother's inhuman lineage, causing an earthquake. Yet, yeah, you know, hey, kids, I'm just going to give you a, just a bit of shoplifting advice. Don't, Don't start cause an earthquake. earthquake. <laughs> it scratches the CD. It draws mm-hmm. attention. Um, listen, we all know that causing earthquakes is cool, but um, just because your friend caused an earthquake doesn't mean you should, too. <laughs> Right. If your <laughs> right. friend jumped off an earthquake, would you do it too? <laughs> Only if you stolen two CDs. Um, one <laughs> each. Uh, so as a result of this, she was taken in by S.H.I.E.L.D., interrogated by its longtime executive director, Nick Fury, who told her of her true parentage. He offered her a position with S.H.I.E.L.D. so they could train her in proper use of her powers in exchange for loyalty to him. Um, Daisy held true to his demand even after Fury's defection from the agency She was given a level 10 security clearance, the highest level, and proved to be loyal to Fury when he was forced to leave S.H.I.E.L.D. after a number of international warrants were set out for his arrest for his unauthorized secret war against Latveria. Um, Thus, she was taken off active duty by Fury's replacement, Maria Hill. Yeah, the the characters in the comics do different things (laughs) than in the the, the movies. Yeah. Um, Hey, different universes. Exactly. Daisy later teamed up with the Avengers. Uh, She helped to defeat the the powerful mutant rebel leader Magneto. I'm sorry, this is a herd of them sort of situation. Because, like, (laughs) uh, by inducing a vibration in his brain that made him lose consciousness. And she stole some of his CDs, too, it says here. Um, (laughs) No, no. Stealing from the elderly. He can't have CDs because of his magnet. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> um, on, on that occasion, she stated that if the Avengers let her join, she would adopt the moniker Quake. So the final lesson of Daisy Johnson is know your superhero nickname going in. Right. Don't don't try and think of it in the moment. Think of it now. Pause the show. Think of your name and we'll go forward. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, everyone. We are going to move on to Gemma Simmons. Uh, she first appeared in uh, Shield Volume Three, Number One, in December for, uh, in December 2014. She was created for the show Agents of Shield, and then brought over to the comics. Um, so her character looks like Elizabeth Henstridge. But weirdly, here's her biography in the comics. Because even though they brought her over, she they still messed around with what was going on in the comics. Uh, she was the daughter of a high-level Roxxon executive. Is that the first time we've mentioned Roxxon? I think it is. Mm. No. Mm. I think it is. Because we, we could have mentioned it, it in, in, uh, in 1858, but I don't think we did. Because they didn't really do Roxxon yet. 
I don't think so. The thing is, I think we mentioned it kind of briefly while talking to Eric mm. Martin, for example, um, because of Rocksmart, but we didn't right, like get right, into right. Roxxon as a company. Right. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so um, she was daughter of a high-level Roxxon executive. She was one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. field agents who formed part of Phil Coulson's team to investigate how the terrorist Abu Musan got hold of an, an, of an Uru sword. Along with Melinda May, Simmons helped Heimdall, the owner of the Uru sword, break right. free from Musan's terrorist group. After Heimdall was dispossessed from the influence of an alien rock, you know, Simmons recovered fragments of said rock to investigate on the helicarrier. So good job. One day in a field mission, Simmons was supposed to neutralize a DNA bomb that had been constructed by a rogue aim faction. When it explodes, it shoots DNA everywhere. It's very gross. It's sort of more of a grody thing than a destructive thing. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry, I said that. Not really. I'm pretty proud of it. Anyways, um, <laughs> while she tried to do so, she was attacked and came in contact with the dangerous material, the DNA bomb material, mm-hmm. which infected her with some kind of cellular necrosis. After doing some medical checks, she predicted herself to only have a month left to live. During the attack of the new Avengers on S.H.I.E.L.D., Power Man, that's Luke Cage. We're calling him Power Man in the comics, though. He disrupted her chi and was surprised to sense that Gemma's chi was, quote, a mess. He told Deathlock to talk to her about it. <laughs> hey, man, you talk to her. Dude, no, 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 no. No, dude, you talk to her. Oh, fine. I already unlocked it. It, make, it feels weird for me to yeah. then have to. <laughs> uh, when Deathlock confronted Gemma about it, she revealed that she had failed to find a treatment and didn't want anybody to pity her as she approached her final days. Her health eventually deteriorated and she slipped into a coma, which allowed her superiors to learn of her malady. Mockingbird, we're going to meet her in a while, and Deathlock began to analyze her condition, and he determined the only way to reverse her illness was to turn her into a Deathlock. Colin, I'm going to send you a Facebook message picture here. Okay. So there is a picture of Gemma as a Deathlock. It's not bad, though. No. Um, Some people so, end up looking way worse than that. Yeah, for sure. Um, 1990s Deathlock was not a pretty, a pretty, a pretty face. Uh, the procedure was not a good one. Ooh. Yeah, that's true. The procedure was a success, and the cellular degradation was completely reversed. However, Gemma didn't wake up. <laughs> Forcing Deathlock to... <laughs> Listen, we're defining success in this case as... <laughs> but she can't wake up. That's not in there. That's not in there. Read it again. Doesn't say. You um, asked us to stop the necrosis, not to wake her up. <laughs> We There's did nothing our in the rule book that says that she has to wake up. Um, so he had Deathlock had to use experimental neurosomatic stimulation to properly restore her. She woke disoriented and confused, as you might be wondering about neurosomatic stimulation. But as she was, frankly, uh, she began to attack fellow Shield agents. Coulson intercepted her and appealed to her to her humanity to bring her back to her senses. She later thanked Deathlock for saving her life. And the last sentence I'm going to say about Gemma Simmons is that her parents think she is an executive party planner. Which is funny <laughs> to think about them thinking that after all the Deathlock stuff. I really love when, like, whether it's a superhero or if it's like a spy yeah. in a movie or something, where it's like people have these like long, elaborate, 
like things that they tell family and neighbors. Okay, yeah. you know what? I can talk about this because he's dead. That sounds awful, but uh, I have a second cousin, right? Because that's my mom's cousin would be my second right. cousin, correct? Uh, okay. Yeah. My second cousin was a spy for a government agency, and they found out about it obviously like after he retired. But for like right. thirty years, people thought he was a dentist <laughs> because like that's what he told people he was. And like he was like, yeah, I'm a dentist, but I have like a private practice, and I like basically like he had all these things, and people were just like, cool, dentist. Also, <laughs> very ironically, his name was Bond, which is very funny to me. But for both dentist and spy, I don't know. I just mean like his actual no, name is Bond. No, I know, but like if you're a Bond, like a Bond is a oh, thing you can no. do. Okay, it. now I get what you're saying. That is so funny. Yeah, um, that's so good. But yeah, no, he just like straight up was just a a spy for the U.S. government. Like, yeah. what the hell? You know, that it's thing is like crazy. you have you have to think of something that is super boring that no one is going to check up on you on. Right. And also feels realistic. <laughs> like how many people we know, well, maybe not necessarily personally, but people that, you know, you or me or whoever might know that are accountants. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Ben Affleck, Anna Kendrick. Um, <laughs> Boo. Yeah. It was a better movie than it had any right to be. Okay. So next we have Alfonso Mac McKenzie. He is the first of these people to appear in the comics. He appeared in Nick Fury versus Shield number three in June of 1988. Wow, that's actually way earlier than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Al Mac McKenzie was born in Austin, Texas. He joined the CIA and rose through the ranks to become one of their top agents. I'm going to say right here that in the comics, Mac is an old white man. So, um, it, I was reading one and it was like, oh, what's going on, um, Mac? And I was like, that's that's not okay. Mac. <laughs> like, okay. All right. So um, he became the CIA's liaison to, liaison to S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, he came to know the leading agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., including Jimmy Woo <gasps> and Jasper Sitwell, uh, which is, it's. I love the idea of people writing these Marvel movies and being like, all right, in the comics, S.H.I.E.L.D., all right, we got that name. We got that name. We got that name. All right, though that's our cast of, of people in this movie. And then yep. comic book nerds can be like, oh, they put Jimmy Woo in. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mac was a traditionalist and was uncomfortable with all the advanced technology used by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. He was dismissed as a... Le- what, what was the face for? I was just going to say, it sounds like a typical old white man, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, also not, not Mac from the show. Like, Yeah. That's, you know you know what? That's fair, though. That They did keep that part. <laughs> um, he was staunchly against robots. He was very much against robots. Um, okay, so uh, he was uncomfortable with all the advanced technology used by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. He was dismissed as a liaison by the Deltites... LMDs posing as agents Wu and direct and the new director Sitwell. So I guess at some point in the eighties, LMDs took over shield shield has a big problem with getting taken over by people that look like them. I was going to say, you know, honestly, just shield in general has an issue with just people getting into their ranks and just wrecking their shop. I mean, it's been scroll. It's been LMDs. 
it's Ben Shield. I mean, it's just like it never right. ends with them. They're all right. both in the comics and in the TV show. They're constantly like, hey, that wasn't us. And they're like, but they said they were from Shield. Yeah, but they weren't us, I promise. I pink you promise that's not Shield. We're gonna the real we're, Shield is us. We're gonna get into it in a couple episodes, but I have a theory <laughs> about it and it has to do with never changing your password. Okay, so um <laughs> All right, where were we? Okay, so noticing various break-ins at various S.H.I.E.L.D. facilities, Mac investigated and and found out about the Deltites' plans and learned that they had been scanning the brains of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to replace them. He was rescued due to the combined efforts of Nick Fury and Alexander Pierce. Yeah, that guy. Um, Mac joined God. Fury to take the Deltites, to take down the Deltites, which led to the destruction of S.H.I.E.L.D. All right, now, now it gets weird. Ready? He returned to the CIA. Now it gets weird? Now it gets weird. All right. It gets weird in the, it's July 20th, 2021. And you and I have talked about what's about to, what's about to happen. Yeah. We're going to learn some stuff. Ready? Okay. He returned to the CIA and he became romantically involved with, any guesses? Oh, yo-yo. Right. Contessa Valentina Allegra DeFontaine. Oh, Okay. After okay. a while. Not someone that we're going to meet in like the next mm, 10 years of this podcast. Yeah. But yeah. Well, someday I'll, hopefully I won't remember, but someday I'll go, remember that episode from 2021? No, but we well, have a tab for that. We, we're That's like true. freaking whatever. We have, there's, there's an app for that. Hold on. Characters discussed. Contessa. James does this thing where he goes, I'm not organized. And then has like the most spectacular spreadsheets. That link you back to things so that we remember stuff. Oh, it's incredible. But I was also, I was looking at, um, I've started subscribing to Instagram stuff that talks about ADHD and ADD stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is like, you have elaborate setups for remembering things. And I was like, oof, I'm logging out of the internet right now. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, okay. So uh, he became romantically involved with her uh, after a while, which led to an estrangement between him and Nick Fury. Uh, while investigating a new apparent, uh, un- sorry, while investigating an apparent new offshoot of Hydra known as the Death's Head Squadron, Mac and Val, which is what we're calling her, I suppose, mm-hmm. brought Fury in to help uncovering an alien threat and neutralizing it. They battled Baron von Strucker, the creator of the Death's Head Squadron. Mac was convinced that there was still a need for Shield. Fury agreed to start a new organization. Mac and Val joined the new S.H.I.E.L.D., however, their romance grew awkward over time. Mac found himself in a strained relationship with Fury and used a frequent used as a frequent pawn for Val's public jealous stabs at Fury. Mac worked with the organization using his interrogation skills to break through the conditioning used by the Deltites. Subsequently, under unknown circumstances, Mackenzie resigned from S.H.I.E.L.D. and wrote a tell-all book entitled Unshielded, an unauthorized insider's look behind the world's most powerful global spy network. Which, what a lame title. <laughs> but, but, oh, oh you, you can't see it. You, it uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. is all caps. So, but, not lame anymore. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, it's 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 ridiculous. Okay. Um, which reportedly explains some of the history behind the organization from his point of view. Since then, he also acted as an unofficial source to Ben Urich, prodding Ben Urich and Jessica Jones to attempt to expose Fury's unauthorized mission to Latveria. So, 
Those are our characters and the people that play them. Now let's get into some non-people. Let's talk about Zephyr 1 for just a second. Sure. So Zephyr 1, also known as Z1, or simply the Zephyr, is a mobile airborne command plane designed by Leo Fitz, who we're not going to meet for a long time. A while, yeah. Um, to be S.H.I.E.L.D.'s main aircraft and mobile headquarters after their previous plane, the bus, was destroyed during an attack on a Hydra facility. Now, real quick, add Leo Fitz to the, we mentioned him on this day. Right. Because we're going to have to come back and say, hey, remember when we told you this guy? He existed, but we didn't tell you anything about him. Here's, here he is. Ta-da. Upon being upgraded, the Zephyr was used by S.H.I.E.L.D. to travel through space and time. (gasps) What? Um, Here's some facts. Mark Kolpak. The visual effects supervisor for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. said, quote, Zephyr 1 is inspired by a mixture of a Romulan bird of prey with a Godzilla head shape. So. Okay. Yeah. You can. There's a there's a moment in this in this scene where you see the outside. So go check that out. Uh, The ship is 280 feet long. And according again to Mark Kolpak, our uh, resident Zephyr 1 expert, uh, the Zephyr runs on 13 engines, eight VTOI. Um which I'm not sure what that means. I didn't look it up. Four horizontal flight and one pulse engine on the rear tail area. The normal maximum flight speed is also estimated to be Mach 3.5. So that's 3.5 times the speed of sound. So fast. It's big, almost long. a football field long. Yeah. And it moves fast. Fast. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that is fake times. Fake, fake times. Comic book, fake show. Now let's get into. New York City in 1931. Yeah. Um, just have a couple things to say and then a, a new segment to close things out. Um, so 1931. Is it about papes? It is not about papes that we are. Okay. 32 years later than that. Um, I was just wondering what the status of them was. Yeah. The sta- listen, newspaper, still going strong. Cool. Um, Good. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, so the president was Herbert Hoover. The governor of New York was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. That is important information to keep in mind for later in this podcast. Yeah. Well, the so, future of the show, not today. Not, not later in this episode, but later in the show. Right. right exactly. Um, but also later in the show of the. Okay. Anyways. Um, so one of the things that happens is that they see the Empire State Building, and that's how they know that they're in New York. Um. And so the Empire State Building is a 102-story Art Deco skyscraper in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, it was designed by Shreve, Lamb, and Harmon and built from 1930 to 1931. Um, so it was finished in uh, on May 1st, 1931. And according to the MCU Wiki, we are on February 13th, 1931, which is why we still see some scaffolding and stuff on the building uh, itself, which is cool. Um, it is a. It has a roof height of 1,250 feet and stands a total of 1,454 feet, uh, which includes its antenna. Um, it was the world's tallest building until the construction of the World Trade Center in 1970. Following its collapse in 2001, the Empire State Building was again the world's, the city's tallest skyscraper until 2012. As of 2020, the building is the seventh tallest building in New York City, the ninth tallest completed skyscraper in the United States, the 49th tallest in the world, and the sixth tallest freestanding structure in the Americas. 
So it says, uh, despite favorable publicity upon completion in 1931, uh, because it was the Great Depression and then World War II happened, the owners of the Empire State Building didn't make a profit until the early 50s. Which, you know, you don't get into building skyscrapers to make money. Wait. Oh, wait. No, wait, that's it. Hold on. Flips through the book. Oh, no. You got to spend money to to make money. (laughs) You got to build skyscrapers to... Yeah, to make money 30, 50, 40, <laughs> however gotta, many years that is later. You got you to gotta build skyscrapers to throw money out of skyscrapers. That's what they say. And go, don't worry, I'm good for it. And say that for decades. <laughs> right. Uh, don't worry, I'm good for it. The motto of the Great Depression. Okay, so uh, <laughs> the last thing I did was take uh, note of the tallest buildings in the world starting in 1930 and going to present. Okay? So, okay. 1930, it was 40 Wall Street, which stood at 1920, uh, 19, 19, I'm sorry, 928 feet. Between cool. 1930 and 1931, it was the Chrysler Building at 1,048 feet. Between 1931 and 1971, looks like 70 in other parts of the Wikipedia article, it was the Empire State Building at 1,250 feet. And then uh, currently, it is the Burj Khalifa, which it has been since 2010 the tallest building in the world. Um, it stands at 2,717 feet, which you will note is more than double the Empire State the Empire State Building, and that is where Mission Impossible mm-hmm. Fallout, I believe, took uh, largely took place. The last thing I have is a new segment that I'd like to do on uh, every episode that we do of 1931. What? What? It's going to be brief, oh. for the most part. It's called the music of 1931, Colin. Yes. Here's what I've done. I have done, uh, I did a brief Wikipedia search and copied all of the uh, songs that are hit songs of 1931 that are available on Spotify into a playlist. And I hit uh, shuffle and whatever comes up is what is the song I'm going to talk about. I have the these first three episodes uh, songs uh, figured out. And the first one is going to be this one that I'm going to talk about now. And it is the most is the perfect one for this episode. I was really pleased with it. It is a song called Out of Nowhere, which with the with the, the team popping out from the future, out of nowhere, it feels really, uh, really appropriate. Uh, it, this is a song popularized, and this song is uh, Bing Crosby's version of it. Um, it was hit the first recording under his Brunswick record contract. He recorded it on March 30th, 1931. So let me pause and say, these are going to be 1931 in its entirety, even though we're only going to spend February of 1931. I didn't mm-hmm. want to get into when was something recorded months. and released, because, yeah. listen, 1931, it was like, oh, wow, there appears to be a new piece of sheet music out there. Oh, there's a new right. 78. Like, you didn't, you weren't like, oh, this came out this Friday. No. Right, um, yeah. It wasn't the way, like, the wet and wild, like, Spotify right. days yet. So, right, I get right. it. All right, so uh, he recorded on March 30th, 1931, and it became his first number one hit as a solo artist. Uh, He also sang it in the film Confessions of a Co-Ed in 1931, and in his short film I Surrender, Dear, also in 1931. Um, Then he recorded it again in 1954 for his album Being a Musical Autobiography. Um, I'm going to make a Spotify playlist of these in the order that I mention them uh, so that I can... um, uh, so I, we can link a, a link to it. Um, and yeah, so you can listen to the uh, the songs that we mentioned each episode. I, I For these episodes, where these years where we're going to be there for a while, 
Um, I kind of want to do that. So I want to do like this, um, 1940 maybe. But that is going to be it for my notes for the first episode in 1931. Uh, get used to some 1930. I've done. I, I I also looked into some some movies from 1931 that uh, that I'll, I'll I'll talk about on on days when it's like and they walk down the street. Right. Sure. <laughs> so, um, but we're gonna be in 1931 for a while. So buckle up. Um, but I think I'm gonna move into some social media. Yeah. Okay. You can find our podcast on Twitter at TimelineScav. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can find me as an individual, as a sovereign state at Unabashed James. My goodness. You can find me as a uh, satellite orbiting mm-hmm. the world at okay. Colin M. Parker. Um, and if you look into a telescope, the newest moon that has been discovered outside of Jupiter is at Scavengers Net. That's the Scavengers oh. Network, the podcast network that we are a proud member of, where part of the joke of the name comes from, Timeline Scavengers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the, Scavengers the has Avengers, Avengers in it, right. so it's kind yeah. of a, it's a cool Avengers, it's like a secret Avengers, kind of. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, also, you know, while you're here, uh, try two, two quick things for me. Just check out patreon.com slash the Scavengers Network. For just $2 a month, you can get access to all the bonus content from this show and many other shows on the network, uh, and there's just a lot of it because we've been putting it out constantly. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. there's a bunch of stuff to get caught up on, and there's going to be plenty more coming your way. Uh, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of it's going to be from this show because we <laughs> record a lot. Uh-huh. Um, also, another thing that I want you to do is, is check out scavengersnetwork.com. Uh, and just go over to the little podcast tab and just sort of take a little peek through all the podcasts here on the Scavengers Network. There's a lot of really great shows here. Um, you know, it's a it's a you know tight knit little family over here at scavengersnetwork.com. And try checking out uh, the Lost Years pod. Oh, sorry, I'm saying it because that's their Twitter handle. Sorry, check out the Lost Years, uh, right. which is currently doing a '90s fan cast retrospective of the TV series Boy Meets World. And what a joy it has been for me, because what a formative TV show for my youth. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure for many other people's youths. Um, sure. So it's it's very fun to watch them enjoy the stuff that's great and just put on blast the stuff that does not work, uh, yeah. both back then and today kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, check all that stuff out. And that's all that I have for things that you should keep your eyes peeled for. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have anything else? I don't think so. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of Timeline Scavengers. As always, I'm Colin Parker. And I will continue to be James Anderson. Uh, 1931 version of Excelsior. Uh, oh, I'm going like to say something. I'm going <laughs> to say, look, Mama, the Empire State Building. It's not going to turn a profit for 20 years, little Billy. That's also nothing. All right, I'm just going to go. Excelsior. There we go. Classic. Love it. Classic. Sometimes you got to go with the classics, you know what I mean? 
Previously on Finish It. I jump on the woolly mammoth. Very nice. Eventually, you become captain of your own ship. You become the captain of your own ship? <laughs> Life is harsh and simple with the cave people. No boy. Vampire advances toward you step by step by step. The usual way. <laughs> Does that sound like fun? Yes, it does. I'm Matt Yule. And I'm Chris Yule. And on our podcast, Finish It, we're going through all the interactive fiction books ever. And we read every single page, and we don't stop until we got every drop. <laughs> we're going to juice these books. Find us at finishitpod.com or finish it on any pod catcher. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.